You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. So today's What I Should Have Been Trained On is how to get good at taking feedback. What, what did I do something wrong? What do you think that I don't know what I'm doing? I mean, I think that right there kind of proves it. So have um, you ever been trained on this? Definitely not. Right. So no. has, has anybody, I mean, I guess people have, but like, I it's think so... it's something some parents have instilled in children. Right. But if you didn't get it from your family. Well, right. Because I think most people's parents aren't good at it either. So therefore, it just keeps being passed down. Right. The bad habit of not being able to take constructive feedback. Right. Like if you don't don't want to tell me how great I am, then don't tell me anything. (laughs) Yes. No. And I've and I've definitely had there. The biggest issue as a manager, if you give feedback to someone whose parents made them out to be a princess and everything they did was amazing and I've had that and it's like pretty rough because they were told as a child and throughout their whole life that everything they do is phenomenal and then if somebody like that and then if you try to correct it it is not easy because you're the first person in their entire life who actually told them that they're not perfect at something wow or that they need improvement on something. So that that's rough. Um, so let's see with that, with that, those individuals, I have one in particular is coming to mind that I'm not going to reveal, obviously. Um, I think a lot of it is if you understand that the person giving you feedback is just as uncomfortable as you are in getting the feedback but they're doing it because they care and they legitimately want you to get better because it sucks. Like, I mean, obviously there are people out there who are bossy and they like to be mean girls. That's not who I'm talking about. You know, if that's the case, maybe move on to a job where people actually care. But if the people above you are caring individuals who are not just out to make life difficult for everyone and their, you know, baseline behavior isn't to criticize, <laughs> then I think you you need to think about how uncomfortable it would be if you had to give the same kind of feedback to yourself. It's only rewarding in that you care enough that you really want them to succeed and you're telling them something uncomfortable to make them better. So when do you have to give this feedback? Is it annual reviews? Is it if somebody screwed something up? I think timing is part of it too. I agree. I don't like when it's held for annual reviews. I think that's kind of rotten. I think if you blindside somebody, they think they're doing a good job and they're expecting to get a raise or they're excited about their new promotion or whatever. And you show up and suddenly you hand over this, you know, litany of complaints that are brand new to them at the time of their review. I think that's pretty awful. I think feedback should be given in real time as much as possible. The same way you do. I mean, this is not to equate people to pets, but like if you have an animal and you have a pet, they need to know in the moment they did something wrong to correct it in the future. If Mm -hmm. you are mad at them five minutes later for something they did, they're not going to connect it. They're not going to understand. Right. And so 
it's harder, I think, even for people, if I do something and I have a misstep and somebody brings it up five months from now, my ability to integrate that with being able to recall exactly what I did is going to be very spotty, right? Like it's, or maybe impossible. And so I think it's always easier if you're somebody who can give the feedback as quickly as possible and also set those boundaries as quick as possible, right? For example, I wouldn't do on a client call. You see somebody and they say they, they misstep and they say something they shouldn't have. I'm brand new to the agency and uh, I've never worked with another uh, company in your industry. <laughs> you're like, oh, like they should never say that. You don't tell them that on the call. And if they're going to speak again, I wouldn't even slack or DM them to say, don't do that. But I would make a time to, hey, do you have a couple minutes? I just want to run over some stuff that happened on this client call so that we can avoid it in the future. And then I think this is like, getting feedback is is different than than giving but i think the key to feedback is giving context of why it matters and why it's important not just to criticize somebody so if you give them the was not a great idea to that you mentioned you're brand new and that you haven't worked with a client in the industry because we don't want them to get spooked that they're not with a team that really understands their industry so we don't need to lie about it either but no need to come out and and overshare get undermines your credibility and we don't want that right, right. and if so you give this, so i think if you're getting feedback and you don't get the why mm-hmm. maybe ask for it hey right. i'm so sorry i did that can you help me better understand what it is about what i did that is problematic or you know what i mean i think if you if then if you pull the why out of the person that's giving feedback uncomfortably and not so perfectly (laughs) maybe it's maybe it'll stick more right and then you understand the other thing is if you actually do it as close to when the event took place Mm -hmm. that then it hopefully doesn't come across as something about like a personality thing or like I don't passive aggressive right I'm just thinking that a lot of times when I get like you know feedback and meaning negative ish or not like great feedback, not like you're the greatest feedback. I think I usually feel that I don't like or trust the person giving it to me. <laughs> and that a lot of times I feel that it's not warranted. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's because I have some, you know, emotional trigger or if I really feel like people are just really bad at giving it. I think people are- Because the not- question is how to get good at taking feedback. I think- the trick is to want to want it as much as possible, get as much feedback from the external so you can become better and better and better and better at what you do. Okay. I totally agree with that. So I think that in my like emotional feedback receptor, I can take feedback <laughs> if somebody's like teaching me how to do something better. Yeah. Cause to me, that's teaching me how to do something better. If somebody is like scolding me, I, I don't know how I would be good at taking that if you ask for the why about the scolding maybe that helps paint some context i just don't trust most people who are scolding somebody at work unless that person you know slaps somebody in the face i mean dex yeah open hand dex bash the old open hand basharoo no but you know i so i do think that there's something in me that um there's like an emotional trigger probably, but I don't know that a lot of people are great at taking criticism. No. And I think we relate to feedback the same way we relate to authority figures. 
And I think if we don't have a great history, either from our parents or teachers or law enforcement, or I mean, there are all kinds of authority figures in our Mm -hmm. lives that if we don't have a positive relationship to having been given good boundaries, good, good, like, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of fatherly. And I don't mean to say that in a sexist way, but there is Mm -hmm. like a fatherly energy that can come out of any gender Mm -hmm. that provides those, like, we don't do this. Right. And then the motherly energy, right. And then the motherly energy comes in to give, and again, from either gender to give that why. So the father says no, the father energy, right? And the mother energy says, this is why. And it has more of a, soft an unconditional, landing. yeah. So, and so when people do both parents together, then it can land. But when they just do kind of the naughty, naughty little mm-hmm. schoolgirl thing, it doesn't always have the same impact. So then I think you as the recipient of feedback need to fill in whichever one you're not getting, you know? I think that's my best advice. We do have Alex in the waiting room. Want to put a bow on this one? I just don't know that I've learned how to get good at taking feedback in our session, but let's come back. Let's come back to it to be continued. Okay. We're going to let Alex in. Hello. How y'all doing? Hey, good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me here. Okay. Our guest today is Alex Sanfilippo. He is the founder of Podmatch and Podcast SOP and the host of Podcasting Made Simple. He's here to discuss the power of podcast guesting and how his know, like, and trust approach can help brands to build their digital reputations. Welcome, Alex. April, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I'm very excited. Obviously, we're big podcast fans doing a podcast ourselves. Um, We pitch a lot of clients for podcasts as well, and it's become more and more of interest, I think, in the last couple of years. I'm curious to see if you've had a similar experience of this podcast boom and people starting to really get excited about jumping into being a part of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have, the industry has changed a lot. I mean, I, when I got into podcasting, it was about six years ago at this point and how different the end the tools are, the industry. I mean, I remember the first time I got on a zoom call, like years ago, I didn't even know what it was. And now you, you know, Zoom is what everybody is always on, right? Everyone's familiar with it. The tools mm-hmm. have changed. Things have really upgraded and changed a lot. But it, it's a really exciting time for the industry. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but the one stat that I'll share is a, a lot of times we talk about how many podcast shows are getting made. And it's at time of recording, it's about 2.6 million shows at this point. Wow. But the listenership is growing a lot faster than the amount of shows that are coming on board. So it might sound like a lot of shows, but listenership is far outpacing it. And that's why many people are like, man, my show's growing. I'm not even really sure how. It's because there's just that many more people that are coming to the industry as listeners. Uh, every day I meet somebody who just discovered podcasts for the first time, which makes it a really exciting place to be at this point. Yeah, that's really cute. So what is this no like, and trust approach? Yeah, so it, no like, and trust is something that you can really only build with somebody that you are usually right in front of, right? It's really hard to establish something like no like, and trust through social media, unless of course, you've just gotten really good about being super transparent, you've been doing that for a long time. But in general, most people on social media, if I'm somebody who's looking to purchase a product from you or a service from you, it's hard for me to know if I can really know, like and trust you, I can look at some of your Mm -hmm. pictures, kind of look around, but most brands at this point, especially don't really put a personality in it. So you're just looking at images that maybe it's clients, they're helping, maybe it's just things in the industry that they're in. So it's really hard to develop that. 
What I've discovered though, is that podcasting is very different than something like social media, really any other form of, uh, of media at this point, because what it allows you to do is talk to people. And you talk to people in a sense of you're in their living room with them. They're working out, they're cleaning their house, they're driving, all these different things. Like you're, you're getting into an intimate setting with somebody. And the way I always like to say it is that it's really similar to people sitting in seats. So again, if you're scrolling through social media, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but it's not as powerful as having a room full of people who want to hear you talk for a specific period of time. And that's really what podcasting does on either side of the mic. It's just as powerful as people sitting in a seat wanting to hear from you and showing up every single day or week or month, however often you pr produce an episode, right? Mm -hmm. But that's mm -hmm. really what you can develop with that time because now people are actually hearing somebody talk like me today. You're going to get to know my personality a little bit. You can decide if you actually like me or not, right? Like if I'm your people. And then you can <laughs> hopefully from that, you can de determine if, hey, I think I can also trust this person. I feel like I know them a little bit, right? Like you can kind of develop all those things at the same time by listening to somebody on a podcast. It's very, very true. Yeah, we started actually mostly to connect with other PR professionals in the industry and give them a chance to understand the trust relations culture and what we're all about and why we're different than other agencies and that kind of thing. And it has worked in that way because we've had a lot of interviews where people listen to the podcast and they already know we're their people because they understand right. the vibe of the vibe of the culture. And, you know, I don't know that it weeds out because we'll never know the people that listen and we're like, never mind. But <laughs> <laughs> true. But we do know we've had people who are like, I'm so excited about this interview because I listen to the podcast and you guys seem like totally, you know, kind of people I want to work for. So it has worked for attracting, whether it's repelled, we don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> well, hopefully, right? Like it should be able to like be that that buffer for you, if you will, right? Like ideally yeah. it would do that. I've listened to a lot of, of your episodes, uh, both April and Laura, I've heard both of you speak on many of these and I, I'm your people. Like I heard it. I could tell that like before <laughs> I even reached out about us collaborating, I could tell I'm like, oh, they're a lot of fun. They have a lot of good conversations. I can't imagine how much you guys actually uh, edit out of these things. I'm just kidding. But um, it's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. <laughs> but you all a lot of fun. I knew you all had great energy. I was like, this is a good spot for me to hang out. I love it. It's so cool. Um, you know, we have never met in person either. Yeah, that's true. This wow. It's going to happen. This year it's going to happen. Imagine, but we'll hate each other if we meet in person. Maybe we <laughs> no, need to keep uh, It's no. the, end of the, the end of the podcast is the in-person meeting. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny? I now have a number of virtual employees, and every time I meet one of them in person, they're shorter they're basically, than you <laughs> I'm taller than everyone thinks, but, <laughs> but that's it. Like everything else, there's no surprises. It's so interesting to me how well you can get to know somebody on zoom and then you hang out in person and it's completely the same chemistry, like exactly the same vibe, the same kinds of conversation. It's just as natural. It's just, it's more three-dimensional has a little mm -hmm. more color and you're there in the same room. But other than that, it's not, I've never been surprised. I've never been like, wow, this person in real life is totally different than on Zoom. <laughs> I want to know what are some of the best practices for people that are starting a podcast? Do you do it twice a week? Do you do it twice a month? Do you do it once a month? Does it matter? When does it matter? And like, how do you actually grow your podcast? Yeah. So to answer the, the first question there, I always start with this. The best thing you can do is be consistent. So if you say I can only do biweekly or monthly mm -hmm. and, and do it consistently, then stick with that. Because at the, mm -hmm. the end of the day, what your listenership is looking for is you to show up when you say you would. 
uh, let's just compare it to what everyone knows, which is TV, right? TV's been around a little bit longer. If your show comes on Tuesday at 7 p.m. and you show up Tuesday at 7 p.m. and it's not there, you're going to start building some distrust with them real quick, yeah. right? It's like, okay, I don't know if it's me on. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. You don't want that. So you want to be able to say, hey, we are once a month, this day, okay. this time, meet us there. People won't necessarily listen to it at that point, but people subconsciously even remember the fact that, okay, I, oh, I've got a new show. It came out last night. It came out yesterday morning. So it's important to remember that. Now, if, if you can do two or three a week, that might be even better, depending on how long the episodes are. We find the shorter they are, the better they can go if you're doing multiple per week. But one a week mm-hmm. seems to be like the sweet spot of like, hey, that's when you can really capitalize well. And because people like that, they like to know, yeah. again, like every Tuesday I can show up, every Wednesday I can show up, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. We did it once a week, but it was too much. Yeah. See, if it's too much, then, then don't do it. Um, we backed but, off. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's, what do you do now? A, what's the sweet? But now we do every other week. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. That, I, and I, that's one of my a old lot shows more manageable. Was, one of my old shows was monthly and that did really well. And that was all I did, like 15 minute episodes once a month. Um, sorry, you had another question. I was going to ask you, what's the sweet spot of the length for a podcast now? Yeah. So the first thing I always say is that podcast episodes should be as long as they're good. So as long as it's really good, helpful content is, is how long it can be. I hate using Joe Rogan as an example. Joe Rogan, I knew you were going to say it. I'm a, I'm a podcaster. We have to, but he, ha- he breaks all the rules, but he's got three hour episodes and people right. listen to him. So yep. to his audience that like what he has to say, they're interested. I've never made it more than 10 minutes. I'm not his audience. They, they kind of find that. So that kind of defies like what you should do. But it, really, if you look again at the numbers, the listenership we find is between 30 and 35 minutes is like really where the max amount of people actually finish listening. And 30 you can and drive, 35 minutes? Yep, between 30 and 35 minutes. Yes. Right. And there starts to be a, a consistent drop off after you pass 45 minutes. Now, again, every audience is a little bit different. You might have an audience that's like, hey, I want more of Laura in April. Like, I just can't get enough, right? It is important to go look at how, the, like, how many people are actually completing listening to episodes. You can get through Apple and through Spotify, and there's other tools out there now as well, where you right. can see what's the drop off point. When I did this with my show, I, I was starting off with about 45 to 50 minute episodes. And about 70% of people would drop off after 35. So I cut it down to less than 35 minutes. And now my completion rate, it jumped up to being over 98%. At that point, it was an entrepreneurship podcast. My audience was listening while they're driving, listening while they're getting a quick workout in. So yeah, that's kind of like the sweet spot is around 35 minutes seems to be like the general idea. But again, you got to really know your audience to figure out what they want. Okay, here's my next question. I'm sorry, I'm just on a roll now how do you make money? So for help us, right? We're, we've been doing this now for God help with two years. Is that right? And I think we have a pretty good audience now, but is there a way for us to monetize it? Yeah. So my favorite way to monetize is something we talked about earlier is how people have come to your, your agency because they've heard you, right? They, they've listened to you. They know that, that they're your people. Yep. That's like an indirect way to monetize, but it really is the most profitable way. A lot of people want to immediately do advertising, find sponsors and stuff like that. And that'll bring a little bit, but it won't bring anything like what your agency is probably bringing in. I mean, it's the difference between just dollars and cents and tens of thousands of dollars potentially, mm-hmm. right? Like, so for me, I've always liked the model of let it be a funnel, top of the funnel, right? Into who you are. Again, developing that know, like, and trust and let your products and services speak for themselves. I like that. I think that's really smart. What do you think, Laura? What does Tilly think? I don't think she thinks much. So <laughs> she thinks she's food. When is Laura going to feed me? Oh my God. She's so cute. Um, <laughs> is that what she's thinking about you? 
she's squinting because she's she's evil. Okay, so I have listened to Joe Rogan. I used to listen to him a lot, and I would listen to him for easily forty five minutes, if not longer, depending on who he had on. When he moved to Spotify, I didn't barely listen to him unless like sometimes his shows pop up on uh, YouTube still, like, I guess promotionally, like, you know, it'll be like 10 minutes and then they'll try to get you to go over to Spotify, but I'm just not interested in adding yet another app to my phone or whatever, <laughs> right. you know, so I just don't, and I'm not that into it. I mean, it's funny because I used to listen to Howard Stern for hours and hours also. And um, when he moved to, to Sirius radio, I did get it. I got the radio to listen to him. And then after like a year, I just, I didn't renew and I really barely listened to him too. So how much, I guess my question is, how much do the platforms matter? And I know for somebody like us, but I mean, for, you know, big podcasts that like big swaths of people are listening. Yeah, I actually really, that's a really insightful question, Laura. I'm glad you asked that. I'm not a fan of the exclusive contract at all. And I, I get why these people do it. They make a bunch of money from like, yeah. they, they just capitalize like in a major way. So I, I get it. But the problem is you take away, you centralize what is in, in a sense decentralized. I mean, podcasting is run off something called RSS, which is old technology. But like my show, you can literally go hundreds and thousands of websites have every episode of my podcast, just like yours as well. But the second you say, okay, now we're exclusive with Apple or Spotify or Stitcher, any of these things, it's now the only place you can go. So you cut out the ability for people to discover you. Uh, granted, the people that are getting these big deals don't care about that anymore. They're just like, hey, I'll take $50 million and call it a day, right? Like, I get it. I, I get it. But in they already general, have the audience, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Matter. And that's why people are willing to pay them for it. So they can get them onto their platform. But it, to me, it kind of goes against everything that podcasting stands for. Everyone's got their own little fancy apps they already like to use, right? Mm -hmm. And if your show just shows up there for them, that makes it a big win. So for me, I, I'll personally never, I'm not going to use the word sell out, but I kind of want to. Um, I'm, not, I'm never going to go exclusive with any network. Not that I have right. the audience or reach for that anyway, but I like the fact that it's everywhere. So anybody who is interested can find it. I'm a case in point on that, right? Like I used to listen to them and now I don't anymore because I didn't want to have to like go to some other place. Right, we, exactly. We're on a bunch of places and we're also not just on the podcast, you know, places that you find podcasts typically, but on a radio network called Electromagnetic Radio that... Um, my friend Bill Schreiber started and has music and stuff. And he was actually trying to get me to do a radio show, like DJing, which I would have loved to do. I just can't like add another thing to my life. <laughs> of course. But he then offered to put this on. So I kind of, I got on there. I have, I have two more questions for you and I know we have to let you go in a minute. Is there anything that you want to let people know or ponder about like what podcasting does for brand or you know, how it fits into your content marketing and sort of a similar question, where does guesting versus producing a podcast fall into that spectrum as well? Do they serve different purposes? Yeah, great questions, April. First off, I think that the opportunity for podcasting continues to grow on either side of the mic. So as a guest or a host, so I'll kind of cover both those things as, as you're asking here. One of the unspoken things, it's a big plus in podcasting on either side of the mic. Again, is just the SEO. So the search engine optimization, like the juice you get from podcasting. Because again, we talked about how it goes to thousands of places. Mm -hmm. If a website link is in the description, like, so let's imagine a guest or your own show, uh, your own main website is there. You're getting backlinks from Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google. I mean, and then thousands of other places, they are all linking back to your website, which from an authoritative perspective, when it comes to search engine optimization, 
search engines like Google, Bing are, are looking at that and saying, oh, what? April and Laura, they have backlinks from all these major websites. Yeah, they're definitely a, a valid website. Like we can promote them and move them up a little further in the algorithms. Like for me, I, I jump on a couple hundred shows a year as a guest and doing that, even if I never get any business from it, at the end of the day, I'm still getting mentioned on these shows, which does mm -hmm. boost my name on these search engines. And that's a big plus and a big win right there. Not long ago, I was looking to get into some SMS marketing. So text message marketing, I knew nothing about it. I started with a Google search, like most people do, right? I was like, all right, I found three companies that offer services for this. I still know nothing about it. I looked at all three. And the next thing I did is I opened my podcast app and I typed in SMS marketing ideas. And I looked through some of the episodes that came up and I noticed one of them repeatedly was one of the three companies I was looking at. It was like one of their, their head of marketing or something like that was a guest on a bunch of different shows. I listened to some of this guy's content. I learned a lot about it. And then guess which product I went and bought. I went and bought that one out of the three. And then I was just curious. I'm like, I wonder where that fell in line as far as price is concerned. It was by far the most expensive of the three, but I went with it because now I felt like I had a connection to somebody who was there. So again, that's, that's the power on that side of the mic. And I'll, I'll mention this and I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet for a minute here, but uh, I'll, I'll mention that starting a podcast isn't right for everybody, just like guesting isn't right for everybody. Figuring out what side of the mic is a better strategy for you is super, super important because you both know like producing a podcast is a lot of work. I get to just leave as a guest when I'm done and you all have got work to do, right? Like the real work gets started after this. So right. it's not always a good strategy. If, if people are saying, man, we're already really spread thin with our marketing for our company, or we just don't have a lot of bandwidth for this. It's probably not a good strategy for you to just add one more thing. However, sharing your expertise, sharing what you know, adding value to people that are on the listener side of podcast as a guest is another really valuable thing for people to do. I love that. Okay, here's my hardball question. How where did you get this lavender background and how do I get it? <laughs> so <laughs> interestingly enough, I am not great at this stuff. I found a YouTube video that helped me out, but these are, there's like two LEDs on either side of me. And this is just a piece of photo paper back here. It's gray. I love it. Can you send me that video secretly? I sure can. <laughs> right when we're done here, I'll send you the video. I'm taking that would note be of amazing. <laughs> I Thank chose the, right. the faux galley kitchen. So one thing about that, this she's is just this trying is actually, to look like she's in New York. I, I get it. <laughs> one thing about that, actually, I'm not like super against Zoom backgrounds necessarily or a background like mine. Like clearly I'm not against that. I have it here. But when you're in like a real life setting, it does build a different relationship with somebody who's watching. So if somebody's watching, they feel like, oh, Laura, so, she has her cat in the, in the video. It's just her kitchen. Like they, they feel like, oh, I can really trust this person. When you put something like this right. behind me, like where the heck is this guy? He's what's in a behind that? Underground, yeah. Right, exactly. What, what like, smoke and mirrors is he using to hide what? Exactly. And so that is something to consider. And a lot of people have actually proven that, especially like the virtual backgrounds, freak people out because it's like, I have no idea where they are right now. And it builds this immediate sense of like, I don't know if I can trust this person. But if it's just, hey, this is me, this is where I live, this is where I hang out, especially if you have like a cat or a kid run by, like those type of things help a lot because then people are like, oh, it's a real person right there. Like that is a real person. I can, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> we've definitely had some animals that have done some photo bombing <laughs> that's um, great <laughs> okay cool well, i know we've kept you over time is there anything you want to ask us and anything you want to plug yeah how so can people find you so from a pr perspective i'm wondering like how often do you have clients that want to get on podcasts like is that becoming something that people are now asking you for or is that not really come up very much 
it's coming up all the time. They want to be podcast guests. Um, and a lot of them are interested in starting a podcast or have just started a podcast or thinking about starting a podcast. So it's definitely something that I'm hearing a lot of. I don't know if Laura is in the same boat, but I'm hearing a, about it all the time. I mean, I think people just think of it as like another outlet. I do think that it's not that easy to find for the kind of clients, you know, startups and smaller companies to find podcasts that are really worth their time though. Like if there's an audience of like 30 people, like, is that really worth doing? So I do think it's a little harder to get on quality ones than people imagine. I haven't had clients specifically ask for it, but without a doubt, clients are more than happy to do them if they feel that they're getting some value. I gotcha. A follow-up to that then. When clients are asking about it, like you all know them pretty well, hopefully, right? So you can, mm-hmm. you can tell like, it's a little bit trendy right now to be on podcasts, just like people are like, oh, I'm getting a TikTok account, right? Like, it's kind of like that. Is there ever a time <laughs> where you can just look at their strategy and their, what they do and just say, hey, this probably isn't the right fit? Have you been able to identify that yet? Because podcasting is kind of, yeah, it's been around for 16 years, but it's kind of new to the sense of jumping into like the PR world. So it's like, is it possible to even tell if it's a good fit or bad fit at this point? Or is it just a strategy that you say, hey, if you want to try it, we can. And maybe I'm asking a weird question here. So. No, I will, I'll, I'll extend my answer. Some podcasts that are worth doing are associated with like trade publications. So that makes sense. Oh, if we were okay. trying to get them into that trade publication in print, then it would make sense to try to get them into that trade publications podcast. That's I, mostly I do B2B. Well, mostly like 90, when I say mostly, it's like 95.9%. Um, I have worked with consumer, not really consumer, but more like entertainment and for sure they're interested in being on any podcast you know just to extend their audience and that could be you know a news thing that could be a music thing it could be a sports thing whatever they want to be on there in whatever angle makes sense i feel like more than even a business um client i respect that because most people have the idea of let's just get on them all and see what happens but i think it's much better to do what you're doing clearly with your client saying hey this is the strategy and the direction we want to go if a podcast works for it let's do it i really respect that it's a good answer thank you yeah, I agree with Laura. Yeah, it's because it's it's about finding the target audience and it's better to get in front of 50 super qualified listeners than 5 million people that aren't going to do anything with your product or service, right? So, so true. Um, you know, I think it's a really strategic play for a lot of clients because there's basically a podcast now for everything, regardless of how granular. I mean, it's it's shocking to me. Sometimes I put together these proposals for clients and like, like Google, you know, I don't know, some really specific niche that they're in, right? Like neuromodulation. You're like, is there a podcast? Oh my God, there's a podcast for that. You know, <laughs> like, right? Like, there's an app for that. There's a podcast for that. So awesome. Well, Alex, where can people find you? Yeah, everything I do is at podpros.com. I, I keep it really simple. So that'll redirect you anywhere. You can see my podcast. You can see the different products and services I offer, but podpros.com is everything. But uh, yeah, this was really fun. I really enjoyed this. I, I love the, the getting to ask you all a couple of questions as well. You both are brilliant in the space that you're in. So it was really just a fun time to be here. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And thank you for flattering us. <laughs> no well, problem. Laura has and, something to and say. And I have one question. Do you know what your um, company's name is backwards? No, I, I don't. I'm so it's, terrible. I'm at just, that. I'm just wanted to let you know that it's Sorpda. <laughs> I would have never known that. <laughs> I have to write it down. <laughs> How long during this interview have you been thinking? It just about dawned it? on me the last twenty seconds. I swear. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> that is so funny. Doc. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's Laura. amazing.
It's always got something. <laughs> Surfed up. All right. <laughs> you. Everybody thought Google was weird. Just wait till Surf Up catches on. <laughs> I hope it does not. <laughs> I'm telling you, you got to edit that part out. I can't. Now, now I can't have that be what people say. Oh wait, you're the uh, you're that guy, right? Surf Up guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just to correct for, for everybody, podpros.com. That's it. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Alex. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, talk <laughs> to you soon. Bye. All right, one moment, please. I will open our do not open until podcast because now we are at the podcast, so I can't open. Okay. <clears throat> wow. That's not part of the, uh, the I, just, I just saw the first three words. Okay, I was maimed in the name of, quote, being a team player for my last agency. I was pretty new to this agency, right? And I wanted to make a good impression, climb the ladder, boost my career, super hungry to compete with my colleagues. And they were a really talented bunch. There was a lot of competition in the internal culture, but make no mistake, I was up for that. Usually the competition was more between teams or within teams about who landed more media hits whose clients moved forward up with upsells, et cetera, and bonuses were plentiful if you were enough of a shark and very publicly celebrated. It was an all-in kind of place. So we also had a ton of happy hours and events that were by and large required. One of these recurring after-hours escapades was called getting uncomfortable. In quotes. already. Go on. <laughs> The CEO would challenge us to do these crazy out-of-the-box experiences to, quote, build our confidence by trying new things, unquote. And people who performed well really endeared themselves to the CEO in terms of client assignments, accolades, etc. Karaoke, flash mobs, poetry performances, you name it, we did it. Then came the skate park. The CEO booked space for us to skateboard in an empty skate park. Usually this would have been for kids' birthdays, parties, I think. But we left the office early, showed up, and got skating. I was terrified and very uncomfortable, but I was not going to back down. Long story short, I crashed and sprained my wrist. The helmet and knee pads did not spare me. My CEO made a huge deal about how I, quote, really committed and gave me a mandatory sick day afterwards since I spent that night at the ER getting scanned. I guess I could have sued or something, but my biggest beef was with myself. Why did I let myself participate in something so stupid and dangerous for work? And how do you make sure you're taking a reality check on a company's culture instead of just getting caught up in it? Whoo, boy, do I, I mean, know that one well. Yeah, I mean, skateboarding is like one of the hardest sports to just go do of anything. Like, that's cuckoo. Like, you know, rollerblading or skating is hard enough, but at least most people can sort of fake it. But you can't fake skateboarding. So I, I don't know whose crazy idea that was, but how, does, how, how do you identify with this? Well, I have two, I have two places in my brain. <clears throat> one of them I'm going to veil, one of, one of them I, I will not. So when I was part of Carmichael Lynch Spong, the entire company got mm -hmm. together for St. Patrick's Day because as you might guess from the names, it was a very Irish owned company. 
every time somebody was new, you had to perform on stage at the St. Patrick's Day event in front of hundreds of people. Okay. And it was sort of like the more outrageous the performance, the more it was celebrated. And so I, being absolutely out of my mind at the age I was, decided to do a very sexy dance with fishnet stockings (laughs) and all green leotard and like (laughs) shamrock inspired other things and did like this full-on booty dance (laughs) in front of the whole company with my colleague who I don't know how I talked her into it, right? Like how my face is red just thinking about it. Look how face, look how red my face is. Oh my God, your sweater and your face are the same color. And this is even before I took hip hop classes. So I watched (laughs) all of these. You weren't even that good. No, uh, I hadn't even trained, but I watched all these. I choreographed it. I think we, no, we did it to milkshake. (laughs) My milkshake brings all the cats to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours. Better than yours. I could beat you, but I have to charge. I had moved from Iowa to New York and I wanted so badly to be, you know, not the dorky Midwestern girl. Oh, it was like, I was was like overshooting. That is like the movie version of like the dorky Midwestern girl going to New York thinking this is the cool thing to do. Oh my God. That's so hilarious. Did you, did Reese Witherspoon play you in the movie version? Oh my God. Or or, uh, Drew Barrymore. That's That's why people call me Phoebe. The only thing, and thank God my grandmother died. I was supposed to do jello wrestling in high school. My friend Cheryl, and literally my grandmother died and I had to like leave the state. So my grandmother saved me from doing that. But I was also, you know, 17 oh. years old. Yeah, you weren't school. 25. I wasn't at a job in New York City. Midwestern implant. Oh, oh you're like, God. I'm going to show how cool I am. And I got mean, my moves. It was it was as outrageous as I'm making it. I mean, or if, if not more, like it was... But uh, anyway, so that's my craziest one. Oh my God. I don't recommend doing that. Nobody, kids at home, don't do that. Nobody did. Nobody ever do what I did. Next story is that, how do I veil this so I don't tell the whole thing? Got invited for a group within my agency that was our like division. And we were all mandatorily expected to go to this party at, at a private house in the Hamptons. And as part of the party, there was going to be something completely inappropriate that you was told, much- You've told me this story before, right? I think behind the scenes, yeah. So something completely inappropriate, much worse- Right, that my you can't car, even Michael, say. Something horrible, like right. truly horrible was going to happen at the party. And I did draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not gonna do that, so my younger self who was more than happy to do outrageous things there was a there was something that she wouldn't do <laughs> it was this and it was not received well that i didn't go and sort of led to the downfall of me being integrated into that group so there is a repercussion at if you do have moral standards and you can't just back out of it in some other way like oh i was sick or mm, you need to find a way to graciously exit stage left or do you like a rock star exit if you're going to 
attempt to get out of something like that that's like mandatory for culture the same is true if this like if i hadn't done i would have had to do a performance i didn't have to take it to you know 11 dancing on all (laughs) dancing on all fours and fishnets like there were other options right but that yeah even (laughs) the fact that they required you to do some performance is just bizarre to me i can't imagine that it was like a hazing it's like a yeah i don't think that stuff flies anymore i don't know if they still do it i mean this is years ago years and years ago to me it always makes me feel like the founders or whatever of said company require that stuff because then they want an excuse so that they can do their stand-up comedy or their whatever and it always comes back to the ego of the people who like own the firm or are in charge there's a it story didn't feel like that it didn't feel like that no. with Carmichael and all Snow. right well that's that's felt like... like they were funny and creative types and they just liked all a right. good time and you know they're See, Irish and it's like a lot of drinking and you know yeah. it was a big party see um, again it, it just I'm very suspicious of of people's motivations which takes us back to the other thing we were talking about that i should have been taught how to accept ah i like how you just wove that back in perfectly you don't trust people have your best interests in mind well yeah no no most people are thinking about themselves i mean all the time including me i mean whatever so to put people on the spot or to make them do something that's just sort of like not reasonable given the you know job expectations or to pretend that you're giving somebody feedback veiled as actually being mean or trying to like start to force somebody out the door I just always think that there's an underlying agenda and this may come from my mother who probably always felt that way sometimes she was right about the real story behind the facade i mean sometimes you make things real because you manifest what you wish them into reality yeah yeah i mean you expect someone to cheat on you and you treat them like they're going to cheat on you eventually they cheat on you and you're like see you cheated on me it's like well yeah because you set them up from the very beginning that they're going to do that thing right right well or you're just attracted to the people who are going to disappoint you yeah in the exact way that you're you're on the hamster wheel of your own dysfunction psychodrama yeah exactly so until you get off of that you're going to keep finding that situation in those people you're just going to keep getting abused in the same way right so what i say perhaps about not being suspect of getting like feedback may be true because i may be continuing to be the moth going to the flame or the you know green leotarded (laughs) dancer going to the you know because we were like trying to prove something or resolve something in our lives. Yeah. Do you remember Chris Atkins? It was like one of our very first interviews. It was a, a boss of mine yes. for PwC. Yes. Uh-huh. His, he met his wife, his second wife, who he's still married to at a PR agency. Oh. And she wrote a, a like an off-Broadway play that was performed a few times. I never saw it, but I'm pretty sure that the premise was people who go into PR are damaged people who are always like chasing the dragon and trying to resolve something they could never get a handle on in their families. And it was really interesting. I mean, I'm not going to say that doesn't take off some boxes in me. So. Right. I think there's a lot of that in willing to sort of not set the right boundaries for ourselves and take none of the glory and all of the abuse kind of thing. There's a lot of that in PR. And so for sure, 
I think that that probably leads people to do things that are quote required of them at a new job like skateboarding which is a very dangerous sport and not something you just like pick up like you know without being trained how to do it unless you're yeah. you know an eight-year-old boy which I don't think that this person was and not being able to say you know what I don't want to do that to endanger myself etc and in taking the feedback I'm always thinking that like there's some evil motivation behind it you know well there may be but at the same time even those people can be bringing you a gift, but you just have to look at it objectively and say, okay, is there a gift in this? Is there yep. still something I can learn even though I don't like the packaging? Right. Sort of like you never really make a mistake in life, but like you never make the wrong decision because then you can always have the chance to make a better decision based right. on, right. Exactly. It's but a you, but you have to be aware enough to know that you need to be learning from each of these situations, whether or not they're really valid in the moment to make sure that you don't find yourself in that same Groundhog Day right. situation over and over again. For sure. Did you ever perform in a green leotard again? No, not for work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so did we give enough advice to this I think person? so. Okay, great. So should we, should we put a bow on this and wrap it up? Yep. Wrap it up and put a bow on after. Wrap it up. I'll take it. You know that song? Not from that snippet, but maybe. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> the fabulous Thunderbirds. I can't do anything else. That's I don't it? know. That's all you got? I, I told you I don't have much more than like the big lines and song. Okay, fair. Okay. Close it down. All right, here we go. Thank you for tuning into the PR Windown podcast. And thank you to Alex for joining us for a very fun interview. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and to share our show with your friends and colleagues. If you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will also help us reach new listeners like you. And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own that can beat April's story about the green leotard, <laughs> send it our way at the contact email below the episode note. Can't wait to wind down with you again next time. Nice. She does. she does serenade me a lot. And I, haven't, I haven't broken. I'm the worst times. singer ever, and I would never would ever sing. I've listened to episodes. I've not heard you sing yet, unless I've oh, just listened what? to long ones. You got to listen oh. to like the very end. Usually Veronica saves it for like the, the outtakes because it's so painful that it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, the last one actually is that did it just come out Friday like when you were seeing the cat in the mirror? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be sure to blast it so people are like, who is he listening to? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm looking at the cat in the mirror. That one. There it is. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Here's the thing. And all you do is people are like, oh, please don't sing or something like that. Not that anyone would. But you just be like, listen, I, I have a radio deal. Like, I'm on the radio. Like, it's it's okay. I can right. sing. We're on oh. electromagnetic radio. Right? <laughs> you don't have to say that you're not singing on it. They just, people have to just know you're there. And then you, right. you've already won. Oh, it's so funny. Okay. Okay. <laughs>